Well, we're going to get right back into Galatians 1, and we're actually, last week we just covered one verse. Today we're going to be covering 12 or 13, and it's a really interesting passage that we're going to be covering, and, and a lot of it is, is, is somewhat graphic. It's the life of Saul, and um, we're going to get into that. Why don't we just pause for a brief time again and just ask God to come and fill you with His Spirit and, and to just give you wisdom, to just come and just speak directly to your heart and and I, I always find that sometimes there's just a block in my heart for things that, that I've, I've been taught in the past that, that maybe the Spirit wants to come and, and just twist a little bit, change a little bit, and say maybe my understanding of salvation was a bit off. And, and sometimes, sometimes we just bring baggage into a passage. And, and I think that that's probably been the case with me in this passage. So let's just pray for just fresh eyes and just an understanding heart. Yeah, God, we, we invite your spirit to this place. God, we want you to be our Lord. James says that there's freedom when we just don't hear your word, but actually obey it, to trust it, to follow it. So God, we just come to you and surrender our will. God, we surrender just our hearts to you, God. We want to follow you. So God, I pray that you would just just show the way for each one of us, God, that you would just change desire in us where you see fit, God, and give us new desire. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Well, a few years ago, we did a really uh, awesome wedding at our house. We normally don't do weddings in the dead of winter, but we did, and I got to wear a toque with my suit. I was really happy about that. It was a cold night. We got a picture there. You got that, Sean? This was Nate and Ashley's wedding. Oh, my goodness. Nate spent a lot of time salting those steps because that could have been a terrible picture otherwise. It was cold, it was freezing, it was everything you could want. We did something really different. Normally, the wedding, it's all about what's happening on stage, but we decided that for Nate and Ashley, we would change it up, and we've never done this before and, and probably won't do it again, but um, <laughs> not because it wasn't awesome, just because they're a very unique couple. Um, They've really influenced a lot of people, and they just have this force about them. And so we decided we would just let people share from the audience about how they've impacted them. And I really thought this was going to be about two minutes long and, and just a little bit awkward to get people to talk. But people were, I'm pretty sure everybody shared. It took a long time. People were just sharing about, about how they've influenced them, and, and they spoke about Nate and I've known Nate for a really long time. And a lot of these things that they said are things that I have, I've known and noticed. They talked about his soft heart, how he's incredibly generous. They talk about how Nate will spend hours with people. He'll listen to you forever. He'll probably fix your vehicle while he's doing that. And then he'll pray for you. This is just who the guy is. And, and this might sound normal to all of you because you know him. This is the Nate you know. But for me, I was grinning ear to ear because that's not who Nate was. My first um, encounters with Nate were completely different. This is how Nate used to look right here. That's him on the right. That is a man. <laughs> Just kidding, Nate. He was a totally different person. He would, um, he, before he knew Jesus, he was an angry guy. His Facebook 
profile was full of public posts of hate calling people out to fight them. One Facebook post he wrote, I will rip your head off. And I'm reading this thinking, oh man, this guy scares me. He, he said himself that he was murderous-minded and suicidal. He said that he wanted to watch the world burn. And so this was the Nate that I knew. And then he shows up to the ark with Sean, and I'm like, oh no, Sean. What are you doing? Like, Nate's a freaky guy, and here's Nate. And, and I, I just spent some time with Nate, and I was like, who is this guy? He once had hate, and now he was just filled with this incredible love. He went from aggressive to gentle, from wanting to destroy the world to wanting to redeem the world. And it was like a switch went off in his life. And he went from this angry, bitter guy to this joyful, beautiful person. And, and I asked Sean about it, and he says it was literally like a switch. 180-degree shift. It was so beautiful. See, what happened was um, he was with Sean in his parents' basement, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he was a brand-new person. Radical transformation is amazing. It's not human. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Salvation is breathtaking. And so we can boast about Nate and Ashley because it's not them. It's what the Lord has done. And we can say, oh, my goodness, from no hope to hope, this is what I'm talking about. There was a different leader in the church who was so loved. His name is Stephen. This man was so loved that when people said his name, it would have been, oh, Stephen, you know, Stephen. They loved this guy. And there was this terrible man named Saul. And what Saul did was he stirred up lies about Stephen and had him arrested and brought before the court. Sometimes we we think of these people in biblical times and we can't really put just a personality upon it. And as I was just sort of praying about this passage, I thought, imagine if that was Matt Keery. Just this most beautiful, sorry Matt, this most beautiful guy. And, and we all hear that he's been arrested and they're lying about him. And they put him in front of the Sanhedrin. So a room about this big with about this many people. And they put him on the stand and, and Saul says all these lies about him. And then they give him the pulpit where he can speak and he shares just about Jesus. And he, he just shares the gospel. And as soon as he finishes, the people in the Sanhedrin actually gnash their teeth. Like, that's anger. And they start shouting. Imagine if that happened in here. And they start just, like, covering their ears, and they run up after Stephen and grab him and pull him out, essentially to their parking lot, and they take rocks, and they kill him right there in front of everybody. Now, just imagine if that was our community, and they did that to Matt, just the deep amount of remorse we would have. We would just be so full of pain. This would have been horrendous to watch. It was violent. It was bloody. They, they broke his face, his head, and, and this was public. They all saw it. This is what they watched. And Saul was responsible. If somebody did that to one of my friends, I would have such a hard time forgiving them. Saul was a terrible human. Luke said that he was laying waste the church. This is a metaphor that describes an army going through a city and destroying everything. He cleared Jerusalem of Christians. They all had to leave Jerusalem. And then he heard that there was a revival in Damascus, and, and he decided that he would actually go to Damascus and find Christians there. So this is what he did. He took 
essentially these soldiers who were the temple police, and he walked all the way to Damascus. This is what the road would look like. It would be so hot, so grueling. The whole way, Scripture says, that he was breathing out murderous threats. In other words, his very breath of life was hatred for the church and for Jesus and for Christianity. He was a terrible man. And when he was nearly there, the greatest conversion, most theologians say that this was the tip of the iceberg. This changed everything. Jesus himself shows up and blinds him in a light. And Saul falls to the ground and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. He says, get up and enter the city and it will be told what you must do. And, and Saul finally gets up and the temple police were with him. They saw it. They couldn't understand the words that Jesus was saying. And he was blinded, so they escorted him into the city. And Saul went and lived there. And a man named Ananias came and prayed for him, healed him. He got his vision back. Saul repented, gave his life to Jesus, and went and got publicly baptized. This was real, but nobody believed him. The disciples wouldn't accept him. They just said he's too freaky. We don't like him. He's mean. He killed so many of our friends. So Barnabas takes him in and speaks life into him. Saul actually had two names. It was Saul and Paul. Most boys had two names back then. Saul was his Hebrew name. And he had his Roman name, which was Paul. And Saul was this name that essentially was regal and powerful and meant I had status. Paul is a word that means little. It's a word that just means small. And so he decided he is now going to go with the humble name. I'm going to be Paul. I'm going to make much of Jesus, and I'm going to humble myself. That's why he changed his name to Paul. He did it himself. The Galatians knew the old Saul, and it's important as we read our passage today that we know that this man was horrible. Maybe the biggest threat the church has ever seen, and he's come to know Jesus. So grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Galatians 1. We're going to start in verse 11. So this is Paul speaking to the Galatians. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. In the same way that that Nate's salvation was definitely not something that a human could have accomplished, he's saying this was supernatural. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely, I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. It's a really fascinating thing that happened when he was blinded. There was a fair amount of time in the meantime that it would just have been him and blind and just in the presence of God before Ananias even showed up. 
I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. He said this is not of human origin. What happened to him was supernatural. And he did not deserve it. He was not a good man. He says later that he was redeemed in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. We use this word a lot. We use it like redemption to get another chance. Like, okay, redemption point. You know, when you're losing at something and you get another opportunity. This is not what the word redeemed means here. The word redeemed in scripture is the word agorazo. This is really important. Write this down if you have a pen. It's this word that means marketplace of slaves. And the marketplace of slaves was a real place. And when they heard redeemed, they all understood what it was because they all had seen it before. And what would happen is in the middle of the city, people that were selling slaves would bring them in and they would line them up. It would just be a mass of humanity, maybe a hundred people. And then they would say, okay, you can come up and and inspect the slaves. And so people would come up and they would check their teeth like animals. They would like lift their gums. Lots of times they would go to the men and they were allowed to punch them to see if they could deal with that, if they were physically strong. They would punch them in the gut. They would go up to them and spit on them and curse at them and see if they had a temper. It was so humiliating to the women they could make them strip publicly. And so all of these people are standing in this marketplace, humiliated, no future, no inheritance. They don't have a family. Back then, it was all about who your father was, but none of these had a father. And if they did, they were all sold by their dad. So they had just nothing. And so when he says redeemed, He's saying that they had no hope and no dignity and no family. And Paul is saying, this is what happened to me. And this is what is happening to many of you. This is what he's saying to the Galatians 4 verse 7. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It's huge. Paul's saying, I did nothing to deserve this. I was in the marketplace of slaves, spiritually speaking, and God purchased me. God redeemed me, brought me up out of it. Listen to how Peter explains the same concept. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen to this description. Once you were not a people, you were in that marketplace, you had no hope, but now you're the people of God. Once you have had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You see, we're chosen. We received mercy. He redeemed us. 
and this radically changes how we think of salvation. See, when we talk about Jesus, it's all about choosing him, right? So imagine if we had a little evangelistic thing, we'd bring people in and we'd be like, follow Jesus, here's all the benefits. And then the sales job of if you follow Jesus, this will happen in your life and this and this and this, and it's going to be so wonderful. We try to talk people into being a Christian if we just accept him. And we can just imagine Jesus sitting there like, please accept me, accept me. And all of it comes down to the fact that we are the ones who are saying, okay, I'll accept you. I will choose you. But nowhere in Scripture do we see God begging for our acceptance. We've placed ourselves as the hero in our salvation story. We're products of, of the, the Renaissance thinking from the West where we are the hero in our narrative. I'm saved because I chose him, and I chose him because I'm a good person. Only a good person would choose him, right? I chose him. Lots of other people didn't choose him because they're not good. And this is such a lie and such a twisted way that we think that somehow I chose him. Paul knew that this was not the case. Listen to what he says to the Thessalonians. He says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. That's huge. Listen to what Jesus says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We were chosen, and this is nuts. In order for us to even know Jesus, he had to come down and choose you by his Spirit. This does not mean that we are without choice. This doesn't mean that he's forcing his love upon us and now we have to worship him because he chose us and we were like without decision. Listen to what John Stott says. He says, Did I, didn't I choose God? Yes, freely, but only because God chose me first. See, we would not choose him if he didn't draw us. Saul chose to get baptized only after he was struck blind, only after Jesus himself came and had a special appointment with him. He never would have turned. He did have a choice after the fact. He could have continued to live in just anger and pride, but he didn't. And he changed his name to Paul. Listen to what Jesus has to say about this. John 6, he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. That's crazy. It changes how we sort of view our salvation from, from me deciding if I'm going to accept him to him coming and, and redeeming us from the marketplace of slaves and saying, I have come to set you free. Paul did nothing to deserve this. And it has nothing to do with our own personal goodness. Nate was a bad man and did not deserve redemption. Paul was a bad man and did not deserve it. I was a bad man and did not deserve redemption. See, we're not the hero in our salvation. It's him. So let's talk about Kanye West for a minute. Kanye is a bad man. <laughs> 
In 2009, Taylor Swift won Best Female Video. What did Kanye do? He storms on stage and does this, calls her out and says, you don't deserve this, Beyonce deserves this. Then Bill Cosby, he gets convicted. And what does he do? He tweets this, Bill Cosby innocent. Thanks, Kanye. He only drugged and raped tons of girls. He's a racist, a cheating, vulgar, violent man. He put his new album out, and we thought, we need to listen to this album. This sounds like whatever. We want to hear it. So Melissa put it into Spotify. Kanye West listened to the first song and then sort of like went into the kitchen. Well, Spotify just plays everything from that artist. The next song was the grossest thing I've ever heard in my life. The kids started screaming, what is this? Like the most vulgar. You could not imagine this was playing, and we didn't even know these things existed. Kanye West is not a good man. But this happened. Sean, go ahead and roll it. Many of you have seen this interview. It's fascinating. For you and Kim now. Kanye and Kim, they got nothing to do Tuesday night. What are they doing? I don't like going out at nighttime. I like being at home with my family at night as much as possible. So what I don't is like that night? What do you do? We go, we'll eat dinner, and we'll play with the kids, and then we'll put the kids to bed, and then we go to bed. And then my wife watches Dateline. So she watches Dateline, yeah. and you're not really watching anything. You're just straight, straight to sleep. I read the Bible. For real? Yes. What do you say to people who would say, and there will be people that will say, I don't believe it. I don't believe the reawakening of that Kanye is saying he's having. I don't believe if I look at the last two, three, four, five years of his life, I don't believe that this can be as uh, night and day as it is. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's that, you, what... that you would be one day living your life in one way and now saying everything is for this. I'm not sure I believe it. What would you say to those people? Well, I'd say when you go to sleep, would you agree that you are asleep when you are asleep? And when you wake up, would you agree that you are awake when you are awake? Yeah. Would you agree that, that those are two different states? People who don't believe are walking dead. They are asleep. And this is the awakening. That's it, we're down. Definitely interesting. You see, Kanye is not good enough, and he did nothing to save himself. We have this understanding that, that we have to be good enough to receive what God's got for us, but the gospel is clearly not that. Jesus is, is, is definitely his righteousness. He did nothing to save himself. He was redeemed, and he had no hope on his own, but it has nothing to do with him. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6. He says, The Spirit gives life. 
the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. The flesh counts for nothing. The flesh is our ability to be good, our, our ability to come to God. It all counts for nothing. It's the spirit. It has nothing to do with the recipient. We are all in the marketplace of slaves. None of us are good enough. None of us have what it takes, but he has chosen us and said, I love you. And he saved us from that marketplace. This is what we're talking about. It's so wonderful. You see, if we believe that we chose God, then God is in debt to us. I accepted you, God. In other words, I chose you, so I kind of redeemed you. And you're kind of lucky that I'm on your team serving you. Because you need me. I mean, let's be honest. You're lucky that I'm here. And I want to advance your kingdom. And this is what's best for you. And all of a sudden, we turn the gospel around. And we think, I kind of know what's up. I know what's best for him. I'm defending him. And I chose him. So it's obviously the best choice. I make good choices. I'm so wise and have things under control. And we have this general sort of Western arrogance where we believe that our opinions are are always right. In the East... There's this belief that you consult others, that, that there's just this humility of spirit and, and just opinion to just seek wisdom. But, but so often we lack that. I know that I lack that. And he chose me. I didn't choose him. See, this, this is Toby Mac. And, and Toby Mac um, has definitely been a hero of mine. Growing up, all I listened to was DC Talk and Toby Mac, and, and his opinions and his music radically affected my life. I would have all my cool friends in my car with me, and we'd be just, you know, bumping down the road singing No Sex For Now, and the kids are like, what in the world? Who is this guy? He changed how I thought about marriage, about girls, about salvation. He's a steadfast, wonderful man. And, and I loved it, too, that in, in all of his albums, or most of them, he, he brought his son into them. This is True Dog, his little boy. And, and I'd listen to it and just be like, oh, he loves his boy. And he came out with an album uh, a year ago, and he wrote this song called Scars. And this picture in his video, you should check out the video, Toby Max Scars. It's powerful. And this really sums it up. He just says, my boy, Truett, is going through stuff, and he's getting hurt, and he's checking out the world. And, and Truett's videos talk about fame and drugs and girls, and he stopped taking his dad's calls and texts, and he's basically started to think that he knows better, that Western arrogance where I, I, I know where I'm going. I, I've, I've chosen to follow Jesus. I chose him. And Toby's so concerned. And listen to how Solomon describes the deception that sometimes we all face in the world. He says, with persuasive words, she led him astray, talking about just the desires of the flesh. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down, and her slain are a mighty throng. 
Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. This is, this is just a warning from Solomon. He's saying, like, trust. Just trust. Remember what he saved you from. And Truett was lured away and enticed, and, and last week they found him dead in his bedroom. And I just, I just grieved with Toby. So sad. I always thought that Toby and Truett were just like me and Owen. <laughs> you know, he just loved his son so much. And, and I pray that, that, that my boy never forgets how good God is and that he doesn't keep any good thing from us. That he's a God that doesn't keep things from us. That what he wants for us is the best. And I pray that you never forget that. I pray this for you too. That you never forget what he saved you from and how good he is. That he is the hero in our story. That we don't deserve his redemption. We don't deserve it. But he chose us and called us. See, when we realize that he's freed us and that he wants what's best for us, he doesn't owe me anything that our life is hell without him. And then we will trust him. He says that there's two different roads. There's one that leads to life, the road where we, where we trust him, that he's redeemed us from slavery and gives us a hope and a future. And there's the one where we get enticed away from God and we believe that he's holding out on us and that there's something better for us. This is the greatest news in the whole world. This is such wonderful news. He's saying, I chose you. Don't forget what I freed you from. My first year of ministry here at the church, I was simultaneously at UBC and so busy. And this organization called me and said, hey, we have a speaker who can come and speak at your youth group. And I was like, okay, I would love to help. He plays in the NFL, they said. And I'm like, okay. So he shows up on a Thursday night, this just massive black guy, like, muscles for days. And I'm thinking to myself, I guess I don't even know this guy really. But anyways, he gets up there and he starts to talk and this is how he started. He says, hello, my name is Darian and I'm in love with a man. And I was like, oh no, where's this going? He says, that man, his name is Jesus. He says, I used to be full of anger and lust, and I was miserable, but something happened to me. I'm a free man now. And he just went off, and he started crying. He's just like, I have been saved from the worst. So often we don't look back on our lives and just say, God has been so good to me. Who would I be without him? He is the hero in my life. I didn't do anything to get myself up out of the garbage. He rescued me. He chose me. This is supernatural. It's not of human origin. This is supernatural. He saved me from so much. Listen to what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This offer is profound. He is saying, I will give you the very joy of God. Does God lack any joy? 
Is there any greater storehouse of joy than what God has? He's saying, I will give you the joy of God. I'll put it in you. Remain in my love. Trust me. I redeemed you. I chose you. Look what I saved you from. Now remain in it. It's the most wonderful passage. Paul is saying that what you've seen happen in my life is supernatural. There's no other way to explain it. Now remain in it. We're going to worship and we're going to take communion and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you. I'm, I'm pretty sure that in this moment, there's some of you who just feel the very call of God on your life. You feel like he's just, he's calling you. He's, in Revelation, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And some of you feel that. And, and just like Saul was, was called and, and, and God was just putting his hand on his life, he responded by saying, Lord. He said, Lord. Right there on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord. In other words, Master, I trust you. It was an instantaneous decision, Lord. And I'm going to invite you, if, if you've never ever said, Lord, I trust you. Thank you for loving me. Then I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. Um, yeah, come on up, worship team. We're going to worship. Let's just bow our heads. If you just feel that he's calling you right now, that you just, you just feel that he's just saying, I love you. Come home, my child. I want to redeem you. I want to give you a hope and a future. And then just pray with me, God, I want you to be my, my Lord. I trust you. Thank you for calling me and choosing me tonight. Thank you that you give me a hope and a future. And for the, for the rest of us, let's just spend a minute and when I think about who I would be without Jesus, that he called me out of that slavery, he chose me, adopted me. My life without him, when I think about who I would be and decisions I would have made, it's terrifying. Let's just spend a minute and just, just consider who we would, would have been, become without Jesus, without his goodness in our life, without his hope. First Peter 2, you're a chosen people. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Would you stand with me as we worship? Father, you say that you love us and that you want to give us your very joy.